Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth. A podcast exposing the truths of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. We are finally back. We say that every time. It's just life is busy, y'all. Like things keep getting in the way, aka kids um, and jobs, etc. So we are here to record episode 28. Um, and today we have a local friend, Maria Alosi. She knows Patricia personally. So Patricia's gonna introduce her a little bit, and then Maria's going to take it away and tell us all about her life. Well, Well, some of you who listen to this may know me personally, some of you may not, but I tend to collect friends everywhere that I go. And Maria is a boutique owner. um, And organically adoption came up when I was shopping. And I immediately recruited her for our podcast. So she um, has an interesting story to share with us, um, really focused on adoption, identity, and her own, how her adoption has affected her relationships. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear from her. Um, and I will let Maria kind of explain to us her, her general adoption story before we dig in. (laughs) Yeah. So I am Maria. Hello. Uh, (laughs) I was adopted at age four from Kirov, Russia. Um, And it's like this little tiny town, probably like a good 14 hours from Moscow, um, for those who are aware of where Moscow is. And my parents are... (laughs) We had a fun relationship growing up. My mom was not an easy kid, so... Um, me and my mom were not best friends when I was growing up. We're definitely like friends now for sure. Um, it kind of, I didn't really, we really didn't become friends till I had a kid, well, two kids. Um, and I like understood the whole parenting thing, which I think is a lot of people like, (laughs) um, yeah. And then I also have two brothers who are adopted from the Philippines and I have an older sister who lives in Colorado um, and she's like four years older than me. So she's super fun too. And was your sister adopted? No. Okay. Nope. She was all natural. (laughs) Biological. (laughs) Biological. She was biological. Um, (laughs) And no, that she was born in Florida and then my parents moved to Matthews, North Carolina, where I grew up. Um, and then they adopted me in 2000. And then two years later, they adopted my brothers. So was adoption a big conversation when you guys were growing up? Was it talked about a lot with three three adopted kids in the house? Yeah, I mean, we talked about adoption, but it wasn't an easy topic to discuss. Um, I had a lot of resentment around adoption and... Um, I would constantly be like, you're not my real mom, or you don't know what it's like to be adopted. And, you know, my mom, they didn't have the tools that I think they have now for parents who adopt kids. I mean, I'm sure they had some tools, but um, yeah, I did not see adoption as ever like a good thing. I was constantly like questioning my life and um, wondering like, why am I here not with my biological parents or like, did they not want me And that whole, there was a constant battle for sure. Did your parents facilitate discussions around adoption a lot? Like did they, would they, um, I'm always curious to this, just being an adoptive parent. Um, but did they, I don't know, like facilitate discussion like around birthdays or mother's day or father's day, or did they, cause I know some parents, just feel like they're doing more hurt that way and then others make an intentional decision to do that how did that look in your family yeah so I was adopted on April 15th that was like when I came to the states 
Um, and so adoption day was a big deal in our family. Like it still is. My mom will still give me like a shout out on Facebook, like, yay. And it's tax day. So it was always like funny to be like, congratulations, you've been adopted. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Um, tax day. And it was just like an easy date to remember until they changed tax day. Um, <laughs> and so like, that was a big deal. Not so much to my brothers. Cause they like really, I don't, you know, they didn't, it wasn't a big deal. Like they don't have that, I think, emotional connection like I did to being adopted. Um, I mean, they may, I, I can't speak for them. Um, but yeah. And then like birthdays were kind of hard for me growing up because it was like, okay, well I was born, but by who? Yeah. <laughs> it was just that question. Like, I know my parents love me and obviously they, you know, traveled thousands of miles to come adopt me, yeah. but it was like, who, who really am I? It was a right. huge, like, I think until I had kids, it was a total like identity crisis. Like, I did not know who I was, or I didn't really, like, believe, because I, like, wasn't a Christian until my son was born. Um, and so I just didn't know, like, the identity that God gave me, opposed to who I thought I was. Right. So, how young do you remember feeling angry about adoption? Gosh, that's a good question. I don't think I can remember until probably like it really hit me in like elementary school going into middle school okay. where I was like going through a lot of like change and I went from one school to another um, just transitioning from fifth grade to sixth grade and then I went from a public school to a private school and there was just a lot I had a lot of like depression and anxiety and um, just mental health issues growing up because I didn't know how to process the brain chemistry in my brain and um and of course like my mom and I did not have a good relationship growing up and nothing due to like her fault you know but just that like disconnect of mm -hmm. are you really my mom do I, how do I treat you vice versa um so I would say like middle school ish is really when I started like having like the rage and like you don't know you know I would constantly be like you don't know what it's like that was my biggest like you don't know me you don't know what it's like mm -hmm. you don't really love me so before that did you have those feelings and then it like shifted or did, was it always there and then you just started letting it out I think it was always there but like I didn't know how to express it mm -hmm. until mm -hmm. I was old enough to feel like I could do it not in a healthy way but right where like I felt like I actually had a voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So was your adoption something that everybody knew or was it like a secret that you? No, everybody knew I was adopted from the moment my parents, they were, um, they went through, I think some organization. I know my brothers were from Christian adoption services and they're great. Um, I don't know who mine was, but um, everybody knew my parents were adopting and like their family, their friends but like your world when you oh, were at school world. yeah everybody knew I was adopted yeah so what was that I, like for you it was hard I grew up as like kids would call me an immigrant or like you should go back to where you came from I mean mm. kids were really mean um and I thought like growing up I would be like that kid who's like oh, yeah I'm adopted I'm cool but it wasn't something that kids my age when I was in middle school or even elementary school knew about because mm. it wasn't as common um and if it was, it just wasn't talked about. I mean, mm -hmm. you'd have your, like, typical kids in foster care that would come to school and people, you know, the teachers would be like, yeah, they're in foster care. Or you would see DSS come in quite often. Um, but being adopted was not cool <laughs> as a kid. Nobody was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I want to be adopted. Um, and so that was hard. So you felt like you were specifically bullied because you were adopted. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, did you go to any therapy as a child? And what was that like for you? Yes. Did that help, not help? I was diagnosed with reattachment disorder at, like, in fifth grade. Um, so, my parents went and found a therapist. Um, and they recommended me 
to go to uh, one who specializes in attachment disorder, trauma based. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw her, I saw her for years, I would say from like sixth, sixth grade all the way through high school. And then some in my like, after I graduated. Yeah. It was a long time. Um, and that's where I think like my mom and I started like building our relationship. My mom like got a lot of good tips and training and she was a great counselor for when I needed it. But then like, I think the relationship just kind of shifted to where it was more like a friend relationship and it wasn't productive. Um, but yeah. I saw lots of counselors. <laughs> so what was the shift? You said you found your identity when you became a mom. Yeah. So that's a cool story. So um, <laughs> my son, when I had my son, I got pregnant at 18. Um, literally the scariest thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, minus, you know, being adopted. That came with some years. <laughs> yeah. But um I was a first-time mom. He was born without his esophagus. So that was like, okay, I'm going to have to be a first-time mom, but a NICU mom. And NICU is really where I think I, like, fell in love with Jesus. Like, to a whole, like, I've always been like the, oh, I want a relationship with Jesus. And I grew up in the church. And I think I went more for the youth group because I was a sociable person and just wanted friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where, like, my love for Christ developed. And so NICU is a lot like being adopted, like in an orphanage. You have four nurses to 12 12 babies, and they're taking care of that many kids with a ton of different medical needs. Hmm. Um, So we would go in, my husband and I, we would come into NICU, you know, we'd be there all day long, and then we would leave. Um, and so Anthony was left with a nurse and, um, it's okay. You're doing great. Um, it, it was, it was like a recovery. It was a a big trigger for me to be able to have to leave him Mm -hmm. and know that like his mom is not taking care of him. And I was still doing the things outside of that, like you know, pumping and providing what I needed to provide for him in NICU, but having someone else be his caregiver when I knew, like, I could be there, that was a real, that was just really hard for me to have to, like, get down with. Yeah. Um, And so, I think the shift really happened when I was, like, we had a counselor. My husband and I were required to see a counselor because we stayed at the Ronald McDonald house love them they were amazing um walking distance to and from the hospital um and they required whoever was there they were required to see an inpatient counselor and they're usually like interns or they just got out of school and they were just there and she asked me she was like well how is it being a first-time mom and I was like I hate it I don't want to take it back (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and you know they asked about like traumas or anything that would like be a trigger and I told her like I'm adopted and is this how this is how I felt Mm. like I can resonate with how Anthony probably feels Mm -hmm. Mm. um Mm. and of course my husband like he's uh, my husband is amazing with both our kids and me but he's never been around like the trauma or being adopted so Mm. it was a whole new thing for him um and I think him understanding the whole connection between me and Anthony that's where it really like developed too. Like he could understand, oh, my wife is feeling all these triggers because Anthony is in somewhat of a similar situation. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but. No, it did. Yeah, that is a cool story. So, so in that, like, that... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say like in that pain where like, how did that, when did that turn for you and become like, the more positive experience of you finding your identity like how did you come out of that situation I really don't think I found my identity until I had my daughter okay. um 
I struggled with connecting with Anthony. I still sometimes struggle with connecting with him um, because we didn't get that skin to skin. We didn't get that, you know, we're like mom and baby immediately connect with eye contact and gestures. Um, and I think that was part of the healing process of like understanding, like, I have a baby that I can provide for, but don't know how. Mm. And that was the hardest thing for me to like get through is figuring out the tools I needed to be able to heal my adoption wounds Mm -hmm. with Anthony. And that isn't to say like, I'm going to dump all this on top of him because obviously that's not how it works. But um, Evelyn was completely different. I had her, I mean, she's biological, both my kids are, but I had her naturally. It was the best birth I've ever had um, between both my kids. Not that those are my only kids, (laughs) but um, um, the moment she came out, they put her on my chest and it was like instant connection. And I think that's where I figured out that like, okay, this is what it's like Mm. to be loved and love something or someone to the extent that Jesus loves us. Mm. Because like growing up, I constantly, even now I sometimes I'm like, okay, where was your hand when I was crying alone in an orphanage? Um, Or like, where were you? Mm. And I mean, obviously he was there. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here, mm-hmm. but um, Evelyn was definitely the, like, the glue to the the spiritual and abandonment. Because hmm. um, I think we all have, like, spiritual wounds. Um, either it's, like, hurt by the church or someone hurts you spiritually. Um, but we don't acknowledge them in the same way. Like, Evelyn's mine was... I was so angry at God for leaving me in an orphanage with two caregivers or three caregivers and then him taking me away from the only thing I knew, the orphanage, and putting me in a home where I didn't constantly feel loved or connected. Um, And Evelyn kind of brought that like whole circle to where like I get to love her. Like Jesus loved me throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really, it's, we always like to hear about, when kind of like that turning point is for adoptees. Um, You know, I, as a therapist and working with many adopted kids, um, I don't have parents kind of ask me like, well, they're starting to ask questions or they're starting to, you know, they're starting to misbehave, you know, the panic kind of rises. And really this podcast has really helped me a lot just to kind of normalize that for people for parents and just say like they probably are going to struggle like they're probably going to struggle differently than non-adopted kids like all kids are going to struggle but like they're probably going to have some unique struggles Mm -hmm. um and it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong right it's just part of the process um but then the follow-up to that that I get is well what do I do you know (laughs) right (laughs) okay how do I stop it or how do I support them and so it's always really eye-opening to hear what the turning point was for different adoptees. Not that problems just disappear, right? But what? When did you? When did they start feeling like they were on their healing journey, or that they started to make peace with themselves, or they opened themselves up to help, right? You know. And I'm just convinced the longer we do this, that I don't think we can really pin or predict. You know, I'm not going to say, you know what should probably happen? Your child just has to have a baby and then that will fix it. You know? <laughs> right. So um, for anybody listening, I'm so sorry to tell you that there is no recipe. No. Um, there is no foolproof recipe for that moment to happen. <laughs> right. And I think I- to like Maria's point earlier, like there are a lot more resources now. There are so many things like that foster and adoptive parents can consider and learn. I think that's definitely on our part to do. Like, um, <clears throat> especially if you know, like, I mean, most people know. So like before, during and after to continue, like you just have to be a lifelong learner of trauma and different resources and strategies and be open to trying different things. And yeah, there isn't a recipe to navigate whatever struggles will come and they will. 
and there'll be a cycle of struggles. Like your struggles as a young kid were, were different and then your struggles mm-hmm. as a middle schooler and then as an adult even. But just to be willing to put in that work to see what's out there, you know what I mean? To learn um, just to be better equipped to deal with that instead of just being like, well, they're not behaving and I don't know what to do. They're just being a brat or they're just doing this, you know, I think is that extra level of accountability for foster and adoptive parents, especially now since we have more to learn from or, or it's more available maybe even. Right. And I would definitely say like my parents, they were equipped with as much as they possibly probably could. I mean, my dad bookworm 100%. (laughs) Um, Like he read all the books and he, my mom was the same way. Like my mom, she put me in dbt cbt like mm-hmm. all the all the things that she thought were gonna help me yep. and so like i think that is also important is having parents that even though like as a kid it may not seem like your parents like oh this sucks i have to go to this class <laughs> right. every single week and talk about how i feel about being adopted but like <laughs> at the in the end i can see how like that totally helped mm. It's good to hear you say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is like having a relationship with my parents was completely diff- It was a struggle. My mm. parents will tell you, like, I was probably not an easy kid. I'm definitely a lot more chill now. <laughs> um, my parents and I, we talk about a lot and we get along really well. Um, and they love, they love their grandbabies. Um, but having relationships in general as an adoptee, even growing up, even now, it's still hard. Like mm-hmm. I will meet people and I'm like, I don't really like you. I don't know. I don't want to talk to you. Like, I don't know how to have a relationship with you. And yeah. relationships are, you know, hi, nice to meet you. How are you? I'm so-and-so like it takes, mm-hmm. it takes two to be able to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get scared and I'm like projection mm-hmm. um, or they're going to abandon you. And I'll do the whole, I'm going to push you away before I can get pushed away thing. Um, and it's just finding those, like, you know, I have a set core group of people who know, and they're like, you'll try, you know, try again later kind of thing, or they'll put the stop and they're like, we know what you're doing. Um, (laughs) and you know, and like, that's awesome. Yeah, that's good. I'm a big, like, I will run away real quick and hide Mm. under a rock before I have to be like vulnerable in front of somebody. Like Patricia will tell you doing this podcast. I was like, um, we could just not. <laughs> but um, I am so, so proud of you because this is a step for you in your in your journey yeah. to do that. But I think it's really important for people to hear that because this is another thing that I think people kind of think is that like, this is just a childhood thing. Once you become an adult, right. they'll be fine, right? Like adoptee issues are just going to kind of evaporate. Right. And like, it, they'll outgrow it kind of like Mm -hmm. seasons of teenagehood like I don't think you outgrow being an adoptee right you don't outgrow it no no I still some days I still wake up and I'm like okay who were my biological parents Mm. and I have to catch myself and be like well you know my I keep telling myself which has been pretty lately that my identity isn't in who my parents were or who my adopted parents are Mm. or my actual adoption it's in Christ and he placed me where I am for a reason, mm-hmm. um, whether that's to minister to other adoptees who, you know, struggle or NICU moms, which I'm in a good group of moms that I minister to on Facebook every now and then, um, because like, that's my passion, you know, mm-hmm. and um, being, having, you know, adoptees, I feel like people don't talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, like. I would have never known about this podcast that people actually like go on and talk about their story Mm. if I didn't meet Patricia, you know? Mm. Um, And so I think just having an outlet for people who are adopted, even parents who adopt or foster care, um, it's important. So. Thank you. I'm really glad to hear that you have friends who, who can tell when you're doing that and they don't let you. Right. So explain that to me. Was there a conversation had where you like said, this is my pattern. Did it come through? Like, how did you get to that point? That's what I'm saying. I have a really, really good friend. Um, I didn't ask for her permission, so I probably will not give her name. You know, we don't need her name. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but we've been friends for well pre I have two really 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 good friends that I, I grew up with one um she kind of caught my pattern mm. when I we were in I would say middle school high school and she caught my pattern and was like yeah we're not doing this <laughs> and she knew like okay Maria needs space like it was like a a monthly thing like I would be good 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 and then all of a sudden I'd be like I don't want to be friends I don't like you I'm messing up all this stuff mm. she'd be like okay you need space and then as I got older recently um I have a really good friend and she you know I kind of just told her like this is what I do mm. and it's nothing against you it doesn't mean like I don't want to be friends it's just sometimes I get scared of being vulnerable and mm. I think being able to identify that mm. and like, obviously, I'm not going to go around to people and be like, hey, I'm Maria, I'm adopted, and I'm really vulnerable, and I'm going to run away when you talk to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, with the people that I, like, do truly care about and connect with, mm. um, I sometimes will just kind of, like, make that a warning. Like, hey, like, this is who I am, and I'm, I acknowledge it, and I'm still working on it. Um, be patient with me. Right, right. Mm. I think that's great. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, if we could all do that. Right. <laughs> And I totally wish I and had have that people kind of consent, you know, that, right. hey, just so you know, um, I can be a little controlling. I can be a little possessive. <laughs> right. Literally. <laughs> please be patient with me. I know it's wrong. Please help me. And please don't leave me. Yeah. Um, right. Please love me. And people and to have people to be able to say, I hear that. I see that. Mm-hmm. Like, I agree to the terms. Like, <laughs> right. I think that's awesome. Yeah. We all need that. Yeah. I definitely think like adopted parents obviously they agree to those terms when they adopt but I mean I, I would hope so um it still doesn't make it easy but um I think just having that like if I had those skills that I have now as a kid I definitely my life would have been easier for sure I think there's just so much awareness going around now and so much conversation like being had about you do you are signing you are like acknowledging those terms and conditions when you're a foster parent or adoptive parent, just because I feel like, especially like in the newborn realm, um, I think there's just so much more like research coming to the surface and conversation coming to the surface about how it still affects them and they're still going to struggle in the same ways, maybe even worse sometimes. Um, so I think that's, you would like to think that foster parents or adoptive parents always consider that trauma or consider those behaviors. I mean, I'll be honest, like I didn't, I don't think you really know until you get into it, to be honest. Um, I did not, I knew there was going to be behaviors, um, but I did not expect the year and a half of horrible behaviors (laughs) that I had to endure daily. Um, I, I just didn't know until I got into it. Um, I think there's just like, we can be naive until, until you do something. I mean, I remember. Well, and I think even, even now, Christina, I mean, um, still, and it's been how many years that you've been? Five, six, you know, the first year and a half was really, really rough. And then there's been seasons, I think, as her daughter has developed or different things have triggered and it's spiked. And I think there is a misconception with, that I have seen of, this is kind of like I said, like one and done. Right. Like we kind of got through that, right. so now we're over, we're past that now. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like no, you know, every season of development can bring up a different aspect yeah. and of things why adoption is hard. Like things still like every once in a while, like she'll have a behavior or trigger that like takes me right back to that first year. Like I'm like, wow, I thought we were like so beyond that, but I see those same behaviors bubble up to the surface when one of her triggers, you know, when she's triggered or something goes wrong or whatever, like those are just so ingrained into her body, like her, her, uh, behaviors and reactions that she developed the first, her first four years of life were just, are just so ingrained into her body and her brain that like, if she's not careful or we're not careful in how we approach things, they will very quickly come back up and then adding on to as her getting older and, you know, thinking about her adoption more, thinking about, you know, any of that stuff more. It just, it is a continual season. And, you know, I just, it's so important for people to hear that people who may be considering foster care adoption, who may think that Patricia, you're right. Like 
I have to just get through a hard season and then it'll be all, it'll be better. It will be better in some ways, but it could yeah. not, be, it could never, it, I remember one thing you told me before, Patricia, or maybe it was somebody on our podcast, but I think it was you made a point like you have to be okay if it never happens the way you thought it would happen or wanted it to happen. Yeah. Um, and I know Patricia, you're living that out right now for sure. Like, yeah. like there have been so many examples even, and I, and I won't go into yours, but just like where foster parents or adoptive parents are like, they never called me mom, like ever. They grew up and they never called me it. And that was something that I really wanted and, you know, which is understandable, but we have to be okay going into these things, it not looking anything like we had hoped. If it's never, if can you still love and fully take care of someone who might not ever return that investment? Um, that's a chance you take. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of scary, but we're here to talk about like the real stuff too. And that's quite real. <laughs> I mean, it happens. I mean, I think that's honestly parenting in general. Um, I think we operate out of a very false sense of control. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I always tell people like, if you have control problems, adopt. Right. Like I, I kind of say that as a joke, but really because it will rip off any shred of you thinking that you are in control right? Um, as a parent, because you think, you know, we're, we're taught this lesson. Like there's a recipe for love, mm. you know, right. you kind of, you do X, you do Y and boom, the kid will love you. And, and it's not even like you said, it's not even that you didn't love your parents. You're just struggling. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And, and the struggle makes it difficult to interact with people. So it's not even as simple as not being loved. You know, or even that I mean, misconception of like love is all they need, like they just need love. But like the no. the reality is, they were probably loved by their biological parents, and that just wasn't enough. So like, what makes us think that our love alone would be enough for them to just magically like be fixed, yeah. you know, yeah. or whatever, turn around their life? That's that's an important part of it. You have to have a sincere and selfless love. But there's so many other things that come along with it, too, that, yeah. that need to be considered. Right. And like those, I don't think it, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it doesn't get better. Because in some aspects it does. But it doesn't necessarily get easier either. Mm. I think you just learn to, mm. I think you learn as you get older, new coping skills. Mm -hmm. And like, I still am learning new coping skills. Right. Um, you mm. know, like I have a hard time being vulnerable with my husband and it's not to say that like, we don't love each other I mean of course we do um but there's still some times where I'm like oh my gosh he's gonna leave or I'm gonna leave mm -hmm. and it's just that natural kind of like you were saying um Christina that it's that like natural ingrained in your body to like that's the automatic go-to right and that was the same thing with like me and my parents it was like the quickest reaction is they're gonna leave me mm -hmm. and I don't think it's a oh my gosh, they will never love me. I think it's more of a, I don't want to be left and abandoned. Mm -hmm. And so the, the easiest thing for me to do is throw a fit or mm -hmm. not reciprocate that love and attention back to mm -hmm. purposely hurt whoever, mm -hmm. you know, I think is going to leave me. Um, and even as an adult, I mean, I still catch myself being like, okay, this is unhealthy. This is not going to help my relationship with my husband or my kids. Um, so definitely like, I purposely believe with mm -hmm. like all my passion that God places seasons in our lives on purpose. So we rely more on him because like the moment we become complacent and content, then it's like, you're not right. relying on God to fill in wherever he needs to fill in. And you're not like allowing him to have that control over your life. Cause ultimately the only person who deserves to have control is him. Um, Yep. And so, we, <laughs> yeah. So like in yeah. those seasons of, I mean, I had my son and I are going through one of those seasons where I'm like, I cannot connect with him. Is this my fault? Is this, you know, like what happened? And I'm like, so focused on the worry of like, am I messing him up that mm -hmm. I'm not focused on like God's plan for our relationship. And it's so easy. And like, as an adoptee, even as a kid, you're not thinking about like, oh, what's God doing for me? You know, <laughs> like you're worried about making sure you're getting fed or um, mm -hmm. like my parents will tell you, I literally would steal food 
mm-hmm. as a kid like that was my go-to like right. I'm not gonna get fed my next meal so I'm gonna go hide mm-hmm. food under my bed my mom will tell you like she will, go up, she will go upstairs and she would be like why is there food under your bed <laughs> um and so it's just those things those little moments that I think adoptees even like parents have to understand like we go crazy for those little moments of joy and connectivity yeah I was just talking to my husband about um, my daughter and um, we, we had a little rough week, <laughs> some rough moments last week. And um, we've just, I mean, time and time again, like we've just uncovered that she just seeks connection in like, just in moments that we wouldn't like normally, you know what I mean? Like we're like, oh, she just really wanted connection <laughs> like in that moment. Like we maybe should have just stopped and sat down for a minute and just sat there and like, doesn't even have to be like, active like just Mm -hmm. sitting there with her while she's doing something feeds her you know what I mean like it it feeds into her um so so oftentimes as parents like especially when you're busy you're just like okay they're busy like they're occupied you know blah 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 blah. and then later it'll come up she'll like burst out she just wasn't connected with as much as she had wanted to be and so that's a conversation we've been having a lot is those little ways like you were talking about little ways that I can connect with her even if it's not the way that I like to connect with people um or that I would prefer to connect with people me I'm like we're gonna connect we're gonna sit down we're gonna have a really good vulnerable heart to heart we're gonna really like dig into each other um and that's she's not (laughs) you know like her idea of connection I've just been reminded is a little bit different and um, doesn't always have to be as intense emotionally as I would like or want it to be. Um, it just means being there next to her. And um, and oftentimes me doing that, just sitting in the silence, she'll say something, you know? And so I just, I think I have to remember that. And that's a good reminder. Um, one question that I have um, is, I guess, not really related to your personal life, but um, what kind of things do you see foster parents doing or not doing or maybe like doing that kind of like you're like oh I don't really I don't I think that's kind of wrong or I don't know if I would do it that way do you have anything like that as you've been like observing as an adult well man I have a whole list um <laughs> not that we're not riding on foster parents like we're obviously right. foster parents but like we're here to learn I, I want to know if I'm doing something that might be hurtful right I would definitely push the boundaries I feel mm. like as um growing up my parents set so many boundaries that I you know obviously was like super angry about all the time (laughs) but like looking back I can be like wow I'm so grateful and thankful that they set those boundaries because I would probably be like not here (laughs) can you give an example um well I was a runaway um (laughs) I I would I would run away purposely to hurt my parents because I was like well I'll show them um and my dad would literally be like okay well when you come home if you come home you know like you are not going back out you know like this is you have to stay home for 30 days you either that or like we'll have other options you know like you don't get your phone there's no outside interaction um Mm. and it was like on those lines it's like not the exact because I obviously can't remember the same words he used but um it was like on those and so he would set that boundary he would tell me like you can run away like this is you can do that but this is gonna be what the consequence the consequence and I think that's really big is setting like you can you literally can go do this but this is the consequence and just setting those boundaries and I do that with my kids now you know like I feel like boundaries and just having a sense of security like you knew what to expect right. it wasn't it wasn't like you like that they told you right because obviously I was like I'll show them I don't really care what they say um were they consistent with oh what yeah they said oh yeah my parents were I have that's important you can say it all day but if you know right I have through. never met parents that have ever been so consistent <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because they're my parents but like <laughs> because I'm not a consistent parent I'll be like oh don't do that and then I'll be like no really don't do that and then the next <laughs> day, I'm like, I don't really care um, <laughs> so my parents my mom and dad were like constantly on the same page they constantly had like communication they constantly were like here's what happens if you do this because I mm-hmm. I didn't understand cause and effect 
Yeah. Like ever. It's like, you can do that. You have the choice, but you don't have a choice in the consequences. Like these are what the consequences will be. Right. Right. So I love that because I love that because Patricia and I talk a lot about, it's so hard to know, like to know how to discipline sometimes. And I know it's different for every kid, but to know how to discipline, like, cause you're like, they're clearly, they've been through traumatic situations and this is a result of that. Where's the line of like, you know, discipline and then like also taking into consideration that. So I I think that just setting the expectation so they know what will happen if they choose to do this behavior is a fair compromise in most situations. And that it's really encouraging to hear that like as an adult now, you can look back and appreciate those boundaries and those clear expectations for your consequences um, when you were younger. I mean, it's really on track with you know, what, what the research and studies is showing us about like how trauma heals, mm-hmm. how people heal, especially from like what I would call relational trauma, which mm-hmm. is what I would call adoption, a relational trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Like a loss of an attachment, an attachment right. drama. And that is through connection. And it goes against all of our yeah. kind of Western ideas of discipline, right? When we, when we think of discipline, it's make the person feel bad make the person feel shame, right? Like that isolate the person. Um, These are all no no's um, for trauma informed discipline. But I think a lot of times when people hear, you know, mental health, people say that they think that means no boundaries. They think that means no discipline. That's not what I'm saying. It's it's about being crafty and and I think actually it does build connection and mm-hmm. safety mm-hmm. when you inform a kid and you I think you can even say hey look we know this is a struggle for you you want to run you want to hightail it and when you get into conflict hey I know mm-hmm. you do that here's some other things you can do you can right. go to the backyard mm-hmm. you can go right there you know but if if you cross line x this is how we are going to respond right because even though mm-hmm. that's discipline there's safety and discipline right you know, trauma is amplified when the person mm-hmm. feels out of control and mm-hmm. they don't know what to expect because that's a threat. Right. Right. That's very, very threatening if I don't know what to expect. So even if I'm in trouble, but I know, mm-hmm. okay, my phone's gone for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like Christina, you were saying, taking those little moments to connect, like that is actually physiologically the way that the brain heals right um and even maria you talking about your friendships like having real life experience with people who know and they stay they choose to stay Mm -hmm. um you were adopted at age four and Mm -hmm. you are still going along your journey and that's what we have to remember that it's not an automatic Mm -hmm. switch but looking back you can see that the things that your parents invested like it made it you were ready when you were ready, you know, right. and those things helped. I mean, who's to say I'm not God, you know, had your parents not done those things, you know, where, how long would the timeline be? I mean, we don't know that, but we can only trust your testimony about your own life, that those things did matter and they made it easier for you to respond, to grow, you know, when you were ready to do so. Right. And I'm going to piggyback off that. I would also say like another Instead of like a do not, I would definitely encourage adoptive parents, foster parents to continue mm-hmm. to instill the I love you. Right. I love you even though even if, not even like even yeah. Though, like I love you when you are when you are feeling this way. Yeah. Because like that yeah. I constantly can yeah. remember my parents being like, We still love you. <laughs> right. You may not accept the love because you don't purposely know how. Like it's not it's not like you don't want to. Um, I think that whole connect Activity that we talked about you know earlier was mm. for me being told I love I was loved was so scary like that was one of my mm. biggest like I was like you don't know what that's like <laughs> mm. you know like you don't know what it's like to love me mm. how can you you're not my real parents um and mm. so like instilling that I love you even when you know you disobey me or even when mm. you throw these tantrums mm-hmm. because you're not getting your needs met because you have to remember that like we as adoptees or even kids in foster care, we don't know what really love is. You know, we were abandoned at with the people we thought loved us the most. And so 
just like the continuous like I love you you know and it could be like like we talked about the smallest moments or even like when they're having a tantrum or having a mental breakdown it's like Mm -hmm. okay I can see that you're very upset I want you to know that I still love you but this is still you know then setting that boundary this is still not okay Uh, my parents lived Mm -hmm. by the book love and logic um (laughs) and then I currently just started reading um it's a good one the body keeps score um don't ask me about it because I literally am on like page two um it's a good book yeah but those would be like my biggest tips I was just it just reminded me of um you know I was saying you know not using isolation and people talk about using a time in instead of a time out Mm -hmm. um and I remember one time um my youngest got into trouble about something and had a privilege removed and I invited him to go on a walk with me and um he looked at me while we were walking and said did you just get me in trouble because you wanted to hang out (laughs) and I remember laughing so hard I was like no but it is a perk you know so but I remember that because I felt like that was like a bonding moment that Mm -hmm. even though he was in trouble he felt like does she just want to hang out with me like I remember like it made me feel good that he knew that even though he was in trouble, he wasn't less likable by me. You know what I'm saying? Um, does he always feel that way when he's disciplined? No. Yeah. Um, but in that particular moment, I think he felt it. It was a parental success right, that apparently. he felt like I genuinely enjoyed him and wanted his company, even mm-hmm. though there was still a limit. He probably didn't get to play his video games. That is the go-to punishment in my house. Right. <laughs> Um, I appreciate the reminder of like even because I I say that a lot with my daughter but it's always like in the aftermath of a hard moment Mm -hmm. I want you to know I don't love you any less you know like blah 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 but I think it's a good reminder to state at the very beginning when I know it's coming even though internally my body is preparing like in every way possible I'm like oh no oh no you know all those things that go inside of your head um that even happens with your biological children but it's just kind of more triggering for me um and foster and adoptive parents probably but I think that's a really good reminder I appreciate that to to set that tone from the very beginning and I think it would even help me go through that hard moment a little bit easier you know not that it won't be tough but like with that mindset it would help ground me maybe and her a little bit more by saying like I see you're upset you're escalating I want you to know I love you you know, no matter what. And, and I think that's a really I'm gonna good to be on the other side of this tantrum still. Yes. You, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I think it Have also just helps like regulate yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing. Like I'm trying to teach my kids, but I have to teach myself. Like if I'm legit in brainstem, which is, you know, like for those who don't know, that's like the bottom base of your, your head that connects your. It's when we're not thinking, we're right. just You're reacting. Not, it's literally emotional. all emotions back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you slow down and you take those deep breaths or you do your bilateral movements, mm-hmm. you know, left and right, swaying left and right, um, which I find my kids do a lot when they're like angry or upset. And it's like their brain is trying to process what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, when you slow down, which is a lot, it's just you have to slow down and take a breath and be like, and then say, I love you. Mm-hmm. It's like causing you to realize like, okay, I'm okay. Yeah if they my kid sees that I'm okay and I'm not gonna mm-hmm. overreact mm-hmm. or get it you know instantly like escalate escalate right mm-hmm. then um you move into that frontal cortex where it's the thinking and logic right. um and so I think that's so important yeah, as even as parents to biological kids because my husband mm-hmm. and I yep. don't have adoptive kids um it's it's hard. It's Parenting hard. is the hardest Parenting job in the world. Hard. No matter who you parent, it's the hardest job in the world. Right. And you know they don't pay enough. They just really don't I pay know. us what the enough. Heck? We demand better wages. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just important too. Yeah, just good. the slowing down and yeah. staying connected good stuff. through the whole process. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that point. That was good. Well, is there anything else as we are nearing the end of our time that you felt like you really wanted to say, but maybe just didn't get to in the flow of our conversation? Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Any last tips for foster adoptive parents that, or any word of encouragement to adoptees um, that you would like to impart? Um, 
I would highly recommend prayer. <laughs> That's literally hmm. like I joke about like, you know, I pray when I'm literally doing everything. And sometimes I joke about that, but sometimes I'm like legit, you know, like I hmm. cannot go throughout my day without like praying, whether I'm thanking God for, you know, my day or just like, oh my gosh, can you please help me get through this moment? Yeah. Um, like whether you believe in God or not, I think just like that's connection. The, the con- having a connection. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, um, that would probably be my biggest like tip for adoptees. And then I would say for foster parents or adoptive parents find your circle Mm -hmm. you know find Mm -hmm. people who are like-minded who are going through the same battles or always a solid tip yeah I would definitely recommend just you know even whether even if it's just a Facebook group you know just having somebody you can reach out to um that understands Facebook which like sponsor us um (laughs) no that's always a constant theme is community and if you're out there and you're a foster adoptive parent I mean I've talked to a lot of people who foster I know people who foster who don't have that community but if you're out there and you don't have that community please reach out to us we'll be your community or we'll get you like I'm sure we can find you a community close to where you're at it exists I'm sure somewhere near you um or even like maria said there's a lot of virtual communities it's just really good to not feel crazy not to feel alone not to have mm-hmm. other people's judgment i'll say that for adoptees yeah too. both mm-hmm. for both ends just to you know people don't know unless you go through it like we will never truly know maria's feelings and sentiments or never truly understand them fully um because we haven't experienced it and vice versa so um, find your people so that you can really, well, the biggest benefit is speaking to your hard seasons without the fear of judgment. Um, it's very mm. different talking to somebody who's walking through it or has walked through it than those who ha- haven't, even if they are trying their best to understand. Um, Excellent. you gotta explain it. Yeah. You gotta explain it. You gotta, you try to just, I found myself trying to justify my decisions a lot more with people mm. who haven't been through it. So Find your community. Um, it's really, really important and it'll help you. Um, Preach. Yeah, yeah. Well, Maria, you did great today. We are yeah, so proud yes, of very you. Very proud of you. I know that was hard, um, but I know what a blessing that's going to be for other adoptees and other foster and adoptive parents just to get their thinking going about those different topics, especially identity. That got me thinking a lot. Um, about many things and how I interact with my adopted daughter. So I appreciate you being vulnerable, even though that's really hard for you. That was a big thing you did. We can do hard things. Yes, you yeah. can do hard things. Yay. And um, yeah, so thanks for joining us, everybody. And hopefully we'll see you soonish. <laughs> Patricia might be reaching out to you. Just keep your DMs open on Instagram. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. If you liked today's episode or any of our episodes, we'd really appreciate a kind review on Apple Podcasts or just to share with your friends who you think might be interested in hearing the stories that are told. 